Well, 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 here we are again. Woo! Welcome, guys. The Construction Monk here. We are progressing through this topic of Christian mysticism. We're discussing what that is, what that looks like, how you can begin to take steps to practice knowing God, because that is mysticism. What does it mean to know a person, right? I had to do a research project for the West Virginia Historical Department on John Brown. He was cons- He's considered by many the spark that lit the powder keg of the Civil War with his raid on Harper's Ferry. Anyway, did a lot of research. I kind of came to love the heart of this guy and his passion to end slavery, right? I read, I, I read a lot about him. I had access to original manuscripts, journals from people that knew him. I mean, it was pretty cool, but I cannot say that I know John Brown. I never met him. I never spent time with him. I was never in his presence. I never felt the energy of his voice, of his posture. I read books about him. I read journals from people that knew him. I never knew John Brown. I could never say, I know John Brown. I could say, I know about John Brown. Same is true of God. Knowing God is knowing God. Knowing about God is not the same thing. Mysticism is knowing God. It's very embodied. Okay, that's what we're talking about. This is note 30 of the long-term series, Calling All Mystics Notes from the Road. We are in a section called Balance. And note 31, did I say 31? Note 31 is (laughs) contrition. (laughs) All right, (coughs) let's get into it. Today, we're going to continue along the theme of the keys of the kingdom being the Holy Spirit. And we're going to explore a part of that. Because if you remember, the first, the first instance of this phrase appearing in Scripture is in Isaiah 22.22. And it mentions the keys to the house of David, right? And then Jesus in Revelation... Chapter 3 mentions again, he calls it the keys of David. And so it's like a bookend, although there are two further references in the vision revelation of John to keys of the abyss, right? But it's kind of interesting because it starts with King David and it kind of towards the end wraps up with King David. And so we're going to talk about David and why there is this reference to David in conjunction with the keys of the kingdom. Why David? I'm going to cut to the chase, and then we're going to talk about it. We're going to look at Scripture. We're going to look at who David was and why David is put up as this ideal. Okay? And, you know, what was it about David that links him to the keys of the kingdom and the Holy Spirit being central, right? And what has it got to do with contrition? (laughs) We're going to look at a lot of Psalms today because... David wrote a lot of psalms, right? Um, 
There are these two characters in the Old Testament that stand out in contrast to the main paradigm of the Old Testament. Moses and David. Moses and David were like forerunners of Christianity. They both had this unique relationship with God. Moses, it says that Moses was a friend of God. And it says that David was a man after God's own heart. Moses and David had this special relationship with God that was in contradiction with the main way that most people knew God through the covenant of the Mosaic Law, right? The Mosaic Law was complex. You had the temple in Jerusalem on Mount Zion. You had all these rituals that had to take place there. Plus you had the law and you had the prophets. You had the Torah and the Talmud, right? There was just so many requirements and rules in order to just come near to God. And only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies once a year. And only the priest could go into the holy place where the table of the shoe bread was and the lampstand. And the altar of sacrifice was in the courtyard where people would come in, right? And only Jews could go into that place. And then there was the court of the, court of the Gentiles later in Jerusalem during the Roman occupation. <coughs> and so Gentiles couldn't even come into the same court as the Jews, who couldn't come into the same court as the priests, who couldn't come into the same place as the high priest once a year in the Holy of Holies. And so there are all these layers of separation from God for the nation of Israel and all these things they had to do to stay right with God, to even be in the land of God, right? All these rules just to be in proximity to God. And yet Moses met with God face to face and David knew God intimately. They were a type, a foreshadowing of what God truly wanted and what God instituted through Christ, which enables us to draw near to God in a new way, in an old way, the new way is the old way, which is the original way. Adam and Eve knew God as they walked with him in the garden. They knew God. There was no separation. Remember, there's a veil that was put in place after the fall. God clothed Adam and Eve. And every generation after has had to deal with this kind of separation. Yet, Moses and David seemed to be people with whom that veil was either not there at all or very thin. This is the idea of thin places, by the way. The thinnest place, well, thin places are places where it seems like there's just more spiritual activity or a closer kind of experience of the divine. The truest thin place should be inside us, right? Remember, it's all about what's inside because we are the temple of God. <laughs> And so David had this special relationship with God. He was like a Christian. He seemed to know God and talk to God and be really intimate with God at a time when nobody could be even near God. Even the high priest, who was the leader of the, of the religion in the nation, could only come near God once a year. And they actually tied a rope around his waist and there were bells on his tunic so that when he went into the Holy of Holies, if he did something wrong 
and God struck him down, they could pull his body out because nobody else could go in to get him. Because <laughs> they die, right? Uriah, in, trans in helping transport the Ark of the Covenant, when it was returned after being stolen by an invading country, reached his hand out to steady it and died. Right? There was the sacredness and the separation in the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Law, that is eradicated in Christ. The veil is torn. We have this way of being close to God now, and that is God's desire. It's always been His desire. He's been moving us to this place in Christ, that through Christ we can come back to the Father and be one, which is what Adam and Eve had in the beginning. But yet David, thousands of years before Jesus, seemed to have a closeness with God, not in keeping with the relationship everybody else had with God. If we look, it's this phrase, right? I already said it. David was a man after God's own heart. It's funny because, you know, there are just these things you hear in Christian circles, right? And this is just a phrase. It's just a common phrase. David was a man after God's own heart. And so when I went to look up the references to that phrase, there's just two. And I was kind of surprised. I just thought it would be like, Time and time again, David was a man after God's own heart. David was a man after God's own heart. I thought it would be a repeated phrase. It's said in, once in the Old Testament and once in the New Testament. <coughs> in the book of 1 Samuel, in chapter 16, oh, I'm sorry, I apologize. It's actually 1 Samuel 13. And this is where God is stating through Samuel that he's going to remove the kingdom from Saul because Saul has become conceited and full of himself even though he was lowly at first when he was first anointed when they called his name he hid among the baggage because he didn't think he was worthy to be king and then you know eventually becomes prideful right that's remember this note is contrition contrition is is a posture of Grace. It's a posture of humility. So Paul, or sorry, Saul, <laughs> Saul King Saul started out very cont contrite and humble, and then he grew very proud. And so God's going to remove him. And this is First Samuel thirteen fourteen. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. This is a statement from Samuel to Saul. Now thy kingdom. And this is the King James Version, sorry. Now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Shakespearean, baby. Remember we, we <laughs> quoted Shakespeare last time. These and thous. I love it. I like the old King James, man. It's kind of fun. Sometimes it's just poetic, right? Anyway. Forgive the verbiage. Now your kingdom will not continue. The Lord has sought a man after his own heart. The Lord has sought him to be captain over his people, to be a good leader. Right? Because you have not kept that which the Lord commanded you. You've not done what God asked. Saul was the first king over Israel. And he lost his way because he wasn't contrite. He didn't continue in the humility which he, with which he began. right? And then in Acts chapter 13, this is just a restating, 
but this is 13.22. And when he had removed him, he raised up to them David to be their king, to whom also he gave this testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who shall fulfill all my will. Whoo, man, that's what we're talking about, right? This is God speaking. It is actually the Apostle Paul talking and he's giving a sermon. He's in Antioch and it's, it's Sabbath day and he's in the synagogue. And so he's preaching a sermon. It's interesting. He says, verse 22 of Acts 13, after he had removed him, Saul, he raised up David he gave this testimony about David. I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do my will. And then Paul says, From the descendants of this man, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. And so we're talking about the house of David and the key of the house of David and the key of David. And Paul here makes a reference to the descendants of David and Jesus being a descendant Right. So what is the house of David? Is it David's line of kings? No, those no longer exist. He's talking about descendants. We, if you take that literally, then you can take it biologically. But in Scripture, often when descendants are talked about, it's talking about character qualities. Like if I said, you have the character of David. I could also say you're kind of in line with David. You're, you are following after the tradition of David. And so the house of David, I think, and, and I think Paul is here pointing to the same thing, the house of David, the keys of the house of David or the keys of David has to do with David's relationship with God. As I've already said, David was like a forerunner, a foreshadowing of, of, of the Christian and what the Christian should be. And here... Paul seems to indicate the same idea. And of course, Jesus came, did come from the biological line of David, but Jesus was also in relationship with God, much like David, only perfectly so, right? And so it is a more about character qualities, the house of David, the line of David. So that's what we're talking about. Why David? Well, he was a man after God's own heart. That's why. And he was a forerunner of what it would look like. It's interesting. Now, <clears throat> I was researching this idea about casting out demons. And I, there's a tradition that David had a lot of understanding, spiritual understanding. A lot of understanding about spiritual reality. And this is kind of the idea here. The key of the house of David. The key of David is David was spiritually sensitive. He had an intimate relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. And you see that in the Psalms in the language of David's Psalms. But this is where this idea comes from. The idea that David had an in-depth understanding of spiritual reality. Even had to cast out evil spirits. That's not stated strictly in Scripture, but 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse, starting with verse 14. Now the Spirit of the Lord, capital S, left Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord terrified him. 
Saul's servants then said to him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God is terrifying you. May your Lord now command your servants who are before you. Have them search for a man who is skillful, who is a skillful musician on the harp. Okay? They're like, here's what you need to do. Right? God's removed his spirit from Saul. Traditionally, it was thought that kings, priests, and prophets had a special anointing of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Not like we can through Christ. But again, they were also like forerunners, right? They all had this special ability to hear God through the Spirit. And so here again, we see that the Spirit of the Lord was on Saul until Saul grieved the Spirit, right? This is what we've talked about too, grieving the Spirit, saying no to the Spirit. Saul lived a kind of life. Eventually, he lost his humility and he started saying no to the will of God. And so he lost, he grieved the spirit to the point of losing that special anointing. That doesn't mean that he went to hell when he died. It just means that he was grieving the spirit, grieving the spirit, doing what he wanted. It was a progression into pride, away from contrition, and he lost the spirit of God. And so then his advisors are like, you need to find somebody. Because I guess demons hate harps. <laughs> no, I don't think so. But he's like, you find somebody that can play and it'll soothe this evil spirit that's come upon you. It says, so they found David and said, he's a, he's a great person all around, right? In verse 18, it's like, son of Jesse, he's a skillful musician. He's a valiant man. He's a warrior. He's skillful in speech. He's handsome too. And the Lord is with him. And the Lord is with him. Like, he has all these great qualities, but the Lord is with him. So they brought David in <clears throat> and it says that David came and attended to Saul. It says Saul loved him. And then it ends in verse 23. So it came about whenever the evil spirit from God came to Saul, David would take the harp and play it with his hand. And Saul would feel relieved and become well, and the evil spirit would leave him. This is where, where tradition gets the idea. David had this special relationship with God, and so the presence of David in Saul's presence was soothing I mean, I really think this is true, guys. This is what it means to be a person of peace. In the Beatitudes, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. When you are really beginning to grow in sensitivity to the Spirit, and you're being f more fully anointed by the Spirit, and the Spirit is the Spirit of peace and love and joy, what do you think is going to happen when you're around people? Your Spirit exudes from you, whether good or bad. This is really cool. This is why there's the spiritual connectivity, which is an aspect of spiritual reality. And this is why dogs can sense things about people that humans can't, right? Dogs are very spiritually sensitive. Most animals are actually. I've just seen this time and time again with dogs. Like you'll be talking to somebody and the dog will be barking at them and, you'll, and they'll seem nice, but the dog just, there's something about them. The dog senses that you may not. And they'll be like, oh, I love dogs. Oh, hey, hey buddy, hey, buddy. And the dog's like, rawr, 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 rawr. And, and then you're like, hmm, my dog doesn't like this person. And he likes everybody. <laughs> no, you know, I mean, obviously, if a dog is already an angry, like, <clears throat> been abused and barks at everybody, that's not what I'm talking about. But dogs have a sense of people. They can sense what's in their spirit because... Spiritual reality is the deepest reality, right? The supernatural is natural and the natural is supernatural. We all have this spirit. 
and there is the spiritual connectivity in the world. So it seems like David had this deeper spiritual sensitivity to the Spirit of God, and it translated here to being able to, through playing music, but what is that doing, right? But we have this also in our culture. It's interesting because music is so expressive and music gives us permission to be emotional, right? You hear a song and it can bring out joy. It can bring out sadness. It can bring out sorrow. It can express something deep in the culture. I really like um, Paul Simon. I've followed his music career for a long time. And um, <clears throat> he has this new album called Seven Psalms. I was listening to him talk about the success he's had in this this new album. And he got this album from Dreams from God, which is really interesting. But then I heard him talking, and the guy was asking him about his success. And he said, he basically said, when art and music nourish and nurture the culture, then that's what can make it successful. And he's like, basically, he's like, that's what music should do. Why? Because music touches to the deeper part of us. It's spiritual, right? And that's why I think David was soothing to the spirit of Saul because David's spirit was being expressed through the music. He wrote music, guys. That's what the Psalms are. So let's jump over to the Psalms. <laughs> this is Psalm 51. Now, this is interesting. This is a, a good psalm. David wrote this psalm after the prophet Nathan came to him and confronted him about his sin with Bathsheba. If you don't know the story, <clears throat> David committed adultery with Bathsheba. He was married to a lot of other women. She had a husband. Uh, I think his name was Uriah. Maybe. Anyway, then he did that, got Bathsheba pregnant. Then he brings Bathsheba's husband back from the front, the battlefront, because he was a soldier. Tries to tries to get him to sleep with his wife so that he can David can cover up what he's done. But Bathsheba's husband won't do it. He's like, it's not fair. I'm not going to sleep in comfortable, a comfortable bed and have this advantage when my soldiers are on the front line sleeping in tents and fighting. And So he slept on the doorstep of his house. And David's like, dang it. This, guy's, this guy is so honorable. He's screwing up my plans to cover up my deceit. And so, you know, anyway, he has... Bathsheba's husband killed while he's battling on the front lines. He told he tells the commander to withdraw, to put him at the heat of the battle, withdraw so he'll be killed. And he's, again, he covers it up. And then Nathan confronts him. And then David is convicted, right? Which is cool, guys, because David, like David, was a man after God's own heart. But the guy wasn't perfect. I mean, the guy was. That's encouraging. To be a person who is sensitive to God and growing in God doesn't mean you don't have problems because God draws near to those who are contrite in spirit. That's what we're talking about. You don't have to be like, this is the negative, negative condition that I think a lot of modern Christian cultures have gotten into, which is you got to be the right kind of person and believe the right kind of things and do the right kind of things and dress the right kind of way to be near God. And actually, David knew it's a humble heart that prepares us to be close to God, not having all our sins taken care of. 
In fact, it's the opposite. We need God to come near so that he can deal with our mess, with, our, with the hell we're in. We can't, otherwise, we can't get out of it. But it takes a humble heart to say, man, I am messed up. David displays this kind of heart. <clears throat> Here David really screwed up. And what does he do? Contrition is also understood as repentance. David came humbly before God and said, man, I effed up. Man, I screwed this up so bad. But he acknowledged it. And this is Psalm 51 written out of this acknowledgement. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithfulness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Wipe out my wrongdoings. Wash me thoroughly from my guilt. Cleanse me from my sin. <clears throat> Verse 4. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. <clears throat> I'm skipping forward. This is a more well-known passage. Purify, verse 7, Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Cleanse me, and I will be whiter than snow. And then jumping ahead to verse 10, Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and renew a right spirit within me. Okay? What's David talking about? Heart, spirit. This is all heart, spirit. His spirit, God's spirit. He's like, clean my heart. My spirit has become convoluted and corrupted. I need you to renew a steadfast spirit within me, a right spirit. Don't cast me away. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Sustain me with a willing spirit. A willing spirit. What's David saying? I, I'm screwed up. I've gotten hardened in my heart. Softened my heart. It's been corrupted through this thing I did that's not in keeping with your character. Sustain me with a willing spirit. May my spirit become once again willing to be in relationship with you to let you lead again. I've, I've followed my own way. I've followed my own desires. I've made this turn away from the relationship we had, which was, I'm gonna only going to do what you want, right? The will of the Father. David had this relationship with God where he understood the paradigm, spirit to spirit, that our spirit needs to be focused towards the will of God. Our will, willing to will with God. David had this kind of connection. <clears throat> through the Holy Spirit. He says right there, <clears throat> do not take your Holy Spirit from me. When we start to do what we want, we harden our hearts to the Holy Spirit and then we're not listening and sensitive to the Spirit and we're grieving the Spirit. We're saying no to the Holy Spirit. We can use our will, our power and our spirit to do what we want and to say no to the Holy Spirit. And David is recognizing this. And then he makes this statement in verse 17. All right, let's start with verse 16. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Contrite, humble, repentant, soft, tender, right? David's saying, like, this was the system in Israel when you sinned. You brought animal sacrifices to the priest. They sacrificed it on the altar. Then you were good with God. 
This is how you dealt with sin. David says, you don't really want that. You don't want me. And today we could say, God, you're not really asking me to do all these good things to make up for my evil. That's not the game. What is the sacrifice God really desires? David knew it. A broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. What does God want? What helps us draw near to God? A humble heart, an open heart, a broken heart, a broken spirit. What does that mean? Not that we are depressed and think lowly of ourselves, but that we understand our brokenness. A broken spirit, a broken heart is a heart that's broken open from its hardness, right? If your heart is hard, it has to be broken open. And that is suffering. That is struggle. That is you being smacked in the face with the fact that you are in rebellion. You're in, <clears throat> you're resisting God. Like to experience the conviction of the Holy Spirit can be painful. It breaks us open though, like hard ground to receive the seeds of God's truth, to be sensitive to the Spirit's leading. This is what David's saying. What does God really desire? What really helps us draw near God is a spirit that's become soft, it's been broken open, and a contrite heart, which is the same as spirit. Contrite, repentant. So we need to develop this posture in our lives towards God and others, always. Like, we're going to make a lot of mistakes, guys. When you harden your heart in the midst of making a mistake, you say, what, what, do, you, what do you do? Nope. I, I'm not going to own that mistake. I'm not going to admit it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double down. I'm going to try to, like David did. I'm going to try to cover it up. I'm going to try to pretend like I'm good. I'm going to create this facade of goodness, even though in my heart, I'm not good. I think this is true. You know, even when I didn't have a great sensitivity towards God, I had this sensitivity in my own heart to the hardening of my heart. And I, I just, I would remember times when my wife and I would get in arguments there would be contention. And there's that verse from Paul. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil a foothold. Right? In your anger, do not sin. Sin is separation. I just remember feeling this tension in my heart, in my spirit, when my wife and I would have fights. And it was like, part of me was like, not going to try to make this good. She was wrong. I was right. I'm right. I don't need to do anything here. It's her fault. I would feel that tension and then I would also feel like I would feel in my heart this 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 reaching towards this hardness. Like I just could feel if I do that thing it's going to harden my heart towards her. It's going to create this wall. It's going to be look guys, separation between people is like building a wall brick by brick, action by action. Do it if you do something, like we're going to wrong people, but if you don't resolve it, it's like a brick in a wall between you, right? So, don't build the wall. How do you not build the wall brick by brick? Well, when, you, when there's contention, resolve it. Not letting the sun go down on your anger means resolve it quickly. Don't let it build up. Don't let it fester. Don't let it sit there because it will harden your heart to that person. Same is true with God. Having a contrite spirit, a broken spirit, doesn't mean it's not working right. It means it is working right. It means that you feel, you're, that means that you're sensitive to the wrongs you're doing and you know and you feel the weight of, if I don't resolve this, it's going to hurt me and them 
an open heart, a contrite heart, a humble heart is a person who can feel, who's sensitive to the weight of the reality that if you go down the path of hardening your heart, it won't be good. David had that kind of sensitivity. That kind of sensitivity comes from the Spirit's conviction in our spirit. And David had this kind of understanding, this kind of sensitivity. <clears throat> That's why David was a man after God's own heart. You know, there's two ways you can read that phrase. It means he had a heart like God's heart because he was in communion with God, but he was also after God's heart. It means he was pursuing God's heart more, right? This is why there are two references concerning the keys of the kingdom of heaven to David. Because David, not that David was perfect, but he understood what God really desired, and that was a contrite spirit, a spirit that is soft, tender. I mean, David was a warrior, guys. Like He was powerful. I think, you know, it's, there's a lot of good stories. He took on, I think he took on a bear with his bare hands, right? He took on a giant with a sling and a stone. Like, David was fierce, but he was also tender. He was a musician. He wrote songs. He wrote poetry. David had this good balance he had this strength. He was also in tune with his emotions. He was sensitive. He was strong and sensitive. He had this good balance. He was a man after God's own heart. He was a philosopher king. He was a warrior and a poet. <laughs> you know, he had a heart for God. He had a special relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. I had a lot of more, a lot more Psalms I wanted to read. There's Psalms where David is pissed off at God. There's Psalms where David is like, why are you not near me, God? Why are you so far from me? Don't forsake me. In fact, Jesus utters a phrase from one of David's Psalms when he's on the cross. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting David. <laughs> Jesus quotes David, his last words on the cross. Wow. Cool. Why? Because David was a man after God's own heart. And David was a foreshadowing of what we are meant to be. And what are we meant to be? We're a spirit and a soul in a body. And we are meant to be a spirit in union with the spirit of God. We have the Holy Spirit in us. We need to cultivate a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. That is the key problem is there's a veil that needs to be removed. It seems that the veil in David's heart between him, his spirit, and God's spirit was either really thin or not there at all. Which was crazy because there, the veil was in place in the temple. And nobody could come and talk to God and have the Holy Spirit like David did. And yet David did. Contrary to his own culture and the religion of his time, David learned to have a sensitive heart towards God through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's why he can say in Psalm 51, don't like, man, I screwed up, I'm, I'm, but I'm coming before you. I'm asking, please, don't remove this special relationship with the Spirit that I have. Forgive me. That's the heart we need to have. Imagine, guys, a world where everybody is, like, quick to admit when they're wrong, quick to repair the wounds, the harm they've done to people, right? Where you don't have this trauma that's happening over and over, and it's not unresolved. 
that would be a great world. If we all had more of a contrite heart, spirit, the world would be a much better place. Where It's not that we would never make mistakes, that we, we would own them and repair the damage immediately. You know, my dad, I had a lot of trauma from my dad. In my 20s, I tried to get him to acknowledge it and repent to repair the relationship. I wrote him a couple letters and I just laid it out. I said, this is what you did. You wounded me. You were angry. You were abusive. You need to apologize. And my dad's response was not a contrite heart. It was, I don't know what you're talking about. Didn't even acknowledge. He didn't say, well, I don't remember, but I'm sorry. He never said sorry. He never. Well, actually, as he was dying of cancer, we had this one moment where he was, he was actually weeping and he did apologize. <laughs> so I take that back. But <clears throat> that was at the end of his life, long after I had already gone through healing from that trauma. But my dad didn't have that contrite heart to the end to repair the relationship. So that built up trauma for me. I had to deal with not only the trauma from my childhood, but then the fact that this person wouldn't admit it and we couldn't resolve the relationship. But then I decided to have a contrite heart towards my dad and forgive him. And the last 10 years of our relationship was really good because I got past it with, between me and God. And David says that, he says, <laughs> he's like, against you only have I sinned, which is interesting because that's not really true technically. But he acknowledges, he's like, really God, I've... The greatest harm I've done is between you and me. And so it's cool that you can work out things between you and God even when you can't between you and another person. And because I forgave my dad and worked that out between me and God, we had a good relationship. I didn't know he was going to die of cancer, but he did. And I could say when he died, when he died, I didn't have all these unresolved things in my heart towards him. We had a good relationship the last 10 years of his life because I moved on. I forgave him and I opened my heart up to him again cool. And that was beneficial for me. Guys, it's that phrase. Bitterness is like swallowing poison, hoping the other person will die. <laughs> when you harden your heart towards people, you're not hurting them. You're hurting yourself. A contrite spirit is a spirit opened to the spirit of God. When you harden your heart, that is death. That's death in your spirit, which leads to death in your soul, which leads to death in your body. That's the core problem. The keys of the kingdom of heaven are your spirit sensitive to the Holy Spirit so this, that the Holy Spirit can lead you so that you can say yes to the Holy Spirit. The reason David is mentioned in conjunction with the keys to, that, to the kingdom is because he had that kind of contrite spirit. He worked hard to maintain it even when he screwed it up. So, be like David. Get the keys of the kingdom of heaven, which gives you the power to overcome the hell you're in. Amen. All right, enough said. <laughs> no, we're going to keep talking about this stuff, guys. It's good. It's cool, though, to see David as an example, right? We need examples of people who have this kind of heart, an open heart towards God, which then is revealed in their open-heartedness towards others. The world 
is in such a terrible place, polarized, everybody in their corners, accusing everybody else of being evil, right? It's people with a contrite heart who will lead the way and all of us coming back together going, you know what? We can have our differences, but we don't need to have a hard heart towards people. A tender-hearted person will lead the way out of our current state of polarization and hate and judgmentalness and intolerance and divisiveness because a contrite, spirited person says, you know what? I'm not going to harden my heart towards people. I'm not going to point my fingers in judgment. I'm not going to be that person. I'm going to lead the way to peace by being at peace with everybody else, by making sure my heart is open towards people. Even when they hurt, even when I think they're wrong, even when we don't agree, I'm not going to harden my heart. We have a hard-hearted culture right now. Everybody, it seems like, is like angry, upset, but we're oppressing ourselves through our hard-heartedness, guys. Once you realize that, once you realize the hell you're in and that it's due to a hard heart and that a hard heart leads to death literally, but also spiritually, also in your soul, then you'll start to go, okay, God, I need to get out of this. Help me cry out to God. David did that. David screwed up big time with Bathsheba, but what he didn't do was harden his heart. He recognized he had started to harden his heart and he's like, you know what? Oh, I'm mm, not good. I need to back away from that. I need to come back and I need to acknowledge. And then you got to make it right with people too. An open-hearted, soft heart towards God leads to that same kind of posture towards others. It's naturally the result. We need people with contrite spirits now more than ever. So take that journey. As you journey out of your own hell, which is due to a hard heart, which is due to resistance to the Holy Spirit, you will lead the way for others to do that. Because hurting people hurt people, but healing people heal people. Amen. This has been a Construction Monk podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Stewart. Thank you guys for listening. You can catch more content at www.moderncontemplative.com. Let's keep going, guys. Let's keep talking about how we can get out of this hell that we're in together. Amen.